Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I am very pleased to introduce you today to Deb Bridges. Deb joined Air Techniques in 2020 in the Special Markets Division and brings 40 years of dental manufacturing experience. This includes almost 10 years of special markets expertise with Dentalese, Centrix, and most immediate past with PDT Instruments. Deb serves on the board of the IDEA Corporate Council and as chair of Centers for Research and Education Technology, short is for CRETE. Residing in a suburb in, of Philadelphia, Deb enjoys spending available free time with all of her extended families, nieces and nephews, in addition to swimming, biking, golf, cooking, and discovering excellent Japanese restaurants. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Ms. Deb Bridges. I am so excited to have you on the show today, Deb. You know, you and I have known each other for quite some time and have been following in the same circles for a long time. And it's really nice for me to have you on the show to showcase some of the cool things that you've done with your career and all the things that are a little bit different than the status quo. So, and I just learned something new about you today. So it's going to be exciting to share you with the audience. So thank you so much for being here. And without any further ado, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into dentistry and what you are doing today? Well, first, I want to thank you. And yes, we're friends. We go way back, my friends. So it's always a joy to be a part of this. So thank you for having me. I consider it an honor. So thank you. What got me into this crazy field of dentistry? Hmm. Many moons ago, my parents weren't going to pay for my education. So I had to do it all my own. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So why spend the money to go to college? I did for one semester at a then community college. And I didn't like it. Most people that were there full time were cutting more classes than they were going. And I was paying for it myself. So I decided that I was going to do what I initially wanted to do. And that was set out on the path of dentistry. I always liked it. I was always fascinated by it. The oral surgeon offered me a a full-time job, well, part-time then leading to full-time job. And I said, well, let me go get trained first. So I went and became EFTA certified and back eons ago, you didn't have to go to hygiene school to become an EFTA. It wasn't a branch of hygiene. It was just it. It was a standalone program. So I became an EFTA and I got trained. I'm out of the Philadelphia area and I got trained at University of Penn and they had a hygiene program at the time. So I got to go through every department within Penn, Temple University, and then a medical facility in Philadelphia called Einstein, and they still have an oral surgery department, and then through the VA. So I had some amazing training, came out able to do everything but drill. So by license, were we were we allowed to do it? Well, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I was certainly licensed to do x-rays and things like that. So everything but drilling. So I did a lot of filling and prep work and everything else oversaw, uh, overseen by the dentist. And then I lucked out and you want to call it that. And I worked for one of the uh, renowned prosthodontist, former associate dean at University of Penn in Dr. Morton Amsterdam's practice. And he had 16 ops. So back in the day, that was huge with his own lab that 
that was in the middle of all the ops. So it split eight and eight. And then he shared a floor with the Dean of Penn, Walter Cohen. So Walter Cohen was a, a periodontist and Amsterdam was a prosthodontist. So I got to do chair side with him for a couple of years. And then I got involved in manufacturing and the rest is kind of history that led me on that path. So then I went back to school full-time. Uh, well, not full-time, full-time at night, traveled 70% of the time with my work and then on the manufacturing side of the business. And then I ended up with my degree going at night and, uh, you know, just all of the ramifications of going at night, the limited coursework that you can do when you're traveling so much. So it worked out and I graduated with a dual degree in marketing and finance. Oh my gosh, that's exciting. Good for you. Let's go back a little bit. So you know, many, many in the audience may not understand the manufacturing side of dentistry. So let's go into that. And how did you find yourself in manufacturing? Like, what was it that you understood in dentistry that led you to this path and an understanding of what happens in manufacturing? So there was a sales rep at the time and he was with Star Dental and the Dentalese group at that time was owned by a pharma company out of the West, Syntex Dental. And Syntex got its name from birth control and arthritis um, medic medication. So anti-inflammatories. So that was their claim to fame, but they owned this dental division that, that encompassed Star Dental, Dentalese, Columbia Dentiform, which academia knows Columbia from the teaching. And then a division called Custom Back at the time, which was based in California. So he said, they're looking for an assistant product manager and the company was pretty layered. So, and I said, well, I'm just now going back to get my degree in marketing and sale, uh, marketing and finance. So I don't know. He said, you have nothing to lose. So I literally interviewed and about eight people were on this panel that I had to interview with. And only one person rejected me that happened to be a female. And she came up to me a month, I guess it was about 30, 45 days into my, I got voted in by everybody but her. And she came up to me and she said, I made a mistake in not voting you in, but I'm the one that didn't vote you in. And I said, well, it's kind of odd you're telling me, but thank you. Why did you do that? Well, here she was a degree snob. No offense to those that have degrees. I respect them a lot, as you know, from me and you just chatting many times. I respect them. But you have to have practicality with the degrees as well. And there's book smarts. And then there's, you know, just what you need in order to function in your position to do right for dentistry in this particular case. So I thanked her found it really odd, but I said, you know, you can't judge just by someone's titles at the end of their name or initials after the end of their name. So and he had a really great career there and a really great run until it was acquired by a, a private investor who obliterated the, the company. Um, so I stayed in dentistry more on the manufacturing side, but that's what led me to the manufacturing side. Wow. Very cool. And so with PDS, when you're doing instruments, was that manufacturing? Or was manufacturing as well. So, and it was PDT, Paradise Dental PDT, Technologies. That's right. That's right. Here, here's an interesting thing that came up. So a friend of mine that now happens to be a dean at a new university that I introduced you to as well just recently said to me as she was filling out CODA applications for becoming accredited to be a full-blown dental school, 
she came to me for some advice and it was, what can we do? It happened to be a female, but it's unimportant, but it, it is important because there's many things that she's trying to do right, right? So we're supporting a lot of females here and I admire that and I'm, I'm all about it. So she is a female. Uh, she's become a great mentor, friend and colleague and we bounce things off of each other and I help her a lot. But one of the things was, if dentistry becomes not right for the individual that's coming to school, but they don't wanna leave, but chair side operative isn't for them. Then what are their choices? What, what can they do? And I said, well, I'm gonna to go to the president of the company who I reported to. And I said, I'm gonna find out, can't she do an internship or an externship or whatever you wanna call it into manufacturing so that she's a metallurgist by background how great would it be for dental students, dentists, who no longer think that that's a career path for them, but their talents could be so utilized in the manufacturing aspect, and it was approved. So then I said, I'll help you if you need, get with other manufacturing concerns, so your students have an alternative. So that's how that all came. So PDT allowed me to think outside the box even more to kind of help these students. And it isn't for everyone. So chair side, operative. So what's the alternative? So if I'm on the manufacturing side, why can't we get creative and do that? I applaud you for that because quite, quite honestly, there are a number of students that make it all the way through that never ever intend to practice. And it's just because they know they're not, they're, they're, they, their hand-eye coordination skills are just not there. Um, but, you know, my question is, why aren't we helping them when they apply to dental school, understand that before they come in? And let's create a path that um, helps to assure that they can get the education that they need, but they, that their career path doesn't stop just because they're not good clinicians, that they have an alternative way to go. Absolutely. And for some reason, they were drawn to the field of dentistry. So why not utilize whatever drove them to that field, ferret it out, discover what it is and uncover what they could be, right? I think that's part of what tenured people, so to speak, can do for those coming up because they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And I, I use that as an expression all the time, but I don't even know what to ask sometimes because I don't know. I'm still learning and still evolving. But I think you're right because too many times it becomes a number to fill a quota, to fill a seat, to get the revenue. And then we forget about the human aspect of who's applying. I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's some that really just you know, the pressure is on, whether it's from their parents or whether it's from, you know, just societal, whatever that might be for them. And they're expected to make, you know, a fair, decent amount of money, you know, because they need to support X, Y, and Z. Who knows what the issues are, but the bottom line is, you know, they may not have their heart in it. And is that good for patients? It's not. But that should not negate the fact that they're brilliant enough or smart enough to be accepted into a program. Let's just give them a, an alternative pathway. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, having been on your call, although I got it before to a, to a lesser extent, but having been on your call beyond oral health and the biofilm conversation that took place last week, 
there's things all of over COVID that speak to modalities that are important as it comes to oral health. And if as a country, we don't start to come together with physical well-being and then oral health and wrapping it in a bow together, not separating it, it's not disjointed. The head is attached to the body. You think? <laughs> well, yeah, you think so. You mean 300 plus years, it's been totally dissociated. We don't, what do we need those teeth for? Just pull them. <laughs> so I get it. So anyhow, so that's kind of where I come from. Excellent. Excellent. So tell the audience what you're doing today and what it is that you love about what you're doing. So I handle uh, special markets. So throughout my career, I've been blessed to work with academicians and uh, folks like you and that have helped me along the way in either doing the best instrument formulation, if it would be. I mean, I remember being a marketer at uh, Densify and I introduced the Prario, uh, the slimline insert for deep root scaling. It was the only instrument at that time other than hand debriding or opening up a flap or whatever for debriding a, a, a deep pocket. So I worked with the creator out of Phoenix, a dentist out of Phoenix, periodontist, and then Christy Minaj Bernie got involved in this whole project with me, but so did Connie Driscoll back in the day. And this brings up names from the past. She was a RDH to begin with out of Kentucky. And I worked with her to do this and, and refine this instrument so that it could be used clinically. Who was gonna use it the most? Hygienist. So she was an ideal person to work with. And then getting to know that she soon became a dentist or, or, or became a dentist and then posthumously was awarded a Geis Award at Adia. That's another story. It brought tears to my eyes because I knew her and she was like you. She was embracing if you were thoughtful or you were a respectful individual, Connie had time for everybody. Yeah. And she definitely had time for me. So anyhow, uh, I think, I, I don't know that I, I probably segued from your question. So I apologize. But <laughs> yeah. So just to bring it back, you know, what is it that you're doing today and, and how, how can we relate that to, you know, I have no doubt that there's scores of hygienists, assistants, dentists out there that may not want to go back to their practice or that may have decided to jump out of the operatory because they no longer enjoy it. But there's so much more that they can do in dentistry and showcasing women that are doing these different modalities is really important to me because it gives people ideas of what they can do with their career. So... So what I do now with Air Techniques, we have some really great products. And one of the best that we probably have at this moment in the line is something called our Mojave vacuum system. So why is that important today? Because I work with a lot, so I'm in special markets. So I handle DSOs, group practices, and government. Uh, so anything relegated to the government world, prisons and those kinds of things as well in there. Some are privately own, uh, run today, but they're in that system as well as schools. So hygiene as well as, uh, well, any allied. So I have hygiene, dental, and then assisting schools and tech programs as well. So what does that do? So for me to work with these group practices, for example, their hygienists are freaking out about going back. 
because most happen to be females, not judging. It's just a fact. There are females still in the programs, but they're nowhere near the numbers that females tend to gravitate toward the profession. So a lot have families. Again, I sound stereotypical, but a lot have families. They want to be safe when they go home. They're working with more aerosolized products, items from, and I'll use name brands for the moment, but okay, maybe I won't. Ultrasonic scalers, air polishing, uh, profies, any of the, perf the, the slurry that's made from your profies after your, your hygiene appointment. Well, all of that leads to them worrying, not just for their patient safety, but for their own safety. So if you have something and a product that has maximum flow, no matter how many operatories, and most DSOs have about six to eight ops on average, some larger eight, uh, there's one that I call on that's 11 in my local area, but how do you keep those, that, that staff? Be it the clinician, the hygienist, the operator will say, and, and how do you keep them safe as well as the patients? So now enter a piece of equipment that can grab, grab. So there's three things in suction, right? Aerosols, that's one dimension, right? One weight. Then you have liquids and you have solids. So to have something that gets all three of them is a big deal. And not just because you can pick up a bowling ball doesn't mean that it will pick up all of those three things. I call it the trifecta, right? So you want to have that happen. So we have that product. So it makes me happy to be here. And we have them in that same flow range that work in academia as well and within schools. So it's good to build clinical systems around that same premise. So it makes me happy. So I think now I answered your question. Yes, you did. That's <laughs> awesome. So, you know, I know personally that, that you also do a fair amount of work with Adia. And I think that that's something also that I want you to elaborate on more because from the dental education standpoint, this is the organization like the ADA is the organized group for dental associations across the country. ADEA, for those of you who don't know, is the American Dental Education Association. And they orchestrate and provide services to all the academic institutions in the country. And so I'm not actively involved with ADEA myself because I made the choice early on in my career to, to go the ADA route. But tell us a little bit about your role because industry is starting to play a huge role in academia as we move forward because things are changing so drastically and so quickly that you know many academic institutions just can't keep up. Well, so ADEA, I'm now, I've been a member of ADEA and attended ADEA meetings, corporate council meetings for years and years. And then I decided I'm in, my, I'm in the end of my second year to try to get nominated to the board of the corporate council. And I did. So it's a four year term. And that four year term, you start at member at large. This year I'm secretary. Thank God it's done. And then I'm, I'm on to uh, member uh, chair elect and then chair. So when there's another thing that I went for, which I don't want to jinx myself. So we'll talk about it maybe next time. But um, Anyhow, being on this board, one of my biggest things and initiatives and any of my colleagues on the board 
will tell you, my hot button is how does dentistry stay relevant? How does it become always and forever an essential business? So we've had the fortunate pleasure of, as corporate counsel, the members, as well as the board, putting together these interactive sessions with the different sections. And we've even had the lawyer who lobbies and has a team at IDEA on Capitol Hill, and we've addressed those concerns. So I, I'm not afraid to be vocal, as you know. So if I'm passionate about something, and I happen to be passionate about dentistry as an essential business, I believe we should get that message. And he should, being a lobbyist on Capitol Hill, do that for IDEA and on behalf of IDEA. No dentist's office, I don't care if it's private, a school, a group practice, I don't care what it is, should ever be deemed irrelevant. When the hell did that happen? And it did because dentistry became fragmented in many ways and not cohesive. So it became easier for politicians to not see it as essential. And that's a mistake. So anyhow, that's my two cents worth of my soapbox for the night, I guess. Well, I think, too, you know, one thing that the audience needs to understand is that, you know, this issue just did not just start. This issue is, you know, 300 plus years old when, you know, there was a medical school dean that that determined that dentistry was mechanical and not scientific. And so that's where this all really started is because dentistry was kept out because they didn't anticipate that there would be any scientific evidence based you know, on the work that we do. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. And fast forward you know, three, 350, 400 years, and well, now we know that we actually can diagnose many systemic conditions by doing a salivary test and looking for the different types of organisms that we know precipitate that. Because once there is a breakdown in the periodontal ligaments and the breakdown of the periodontal mechanism, you know, and there's bleeding, that's the one-way ticket right into the body. And so, you know, it, it doesn't take too long if you have a long-standing, you know, periodontal issues to make you sick. So, you know, I do believe now is the best time since we are now officially considered health, essential healthcare providers. Thank you, ADA. Thank you, Adia. Thank you, whoever helped us get there. That one, we never close our offices again. And two, that we work towards determining this integration of medicine and dentistry once and for all, because the teeth are not separate. When you have an infection in your mouth, you're expected to pull your tooth. Well, if we have an infection in our foot, we're not expected to cut our foot off, are we? Correct. So that's the thing that I want, the, the, and I think it's, it's an ingrained thing in our population. You know, it doesn't matter you, if you're a politician, anybody that's not in dentistry doesn't get it. Um, and it's, it's because this has been separate all these years. There is no insurance coding. There is no diagnosis coding, I mean, that we use on a regular basis. It's obviously there, but, but we need to get there. We need to, to really fast forward and fast track this issue so that we can move towards an integrated system where we are providing services to our patients based on what we see in the moment. You're right on with this integration, right? And I talked about it earlier. And while we laugh about it, there is nothing funny about it being disjointed at all, like in the terms of total health. Kaiser Permanente is the first in the Pacific Rim, right, that integrated 
health care, mandated health care. This part disjointed from the head in with the head. So if you want a medical appointment, you have to sooner or later, it's encapsulated into a dental visit or vice versa. Dental visit is incorporated into the other wellness. So that's how Kaiser Permanente is vertically integrated. Now you enter, I, I, I think I had this conversation with you a while back, but UF Gainesville, University of Florida Gainesville, add one year to a student's tenure and they come out with a DO degree. So now they're into the total wellness of an individual instead of just the oral wellness of an individual. So to me, hats off because they're ahead of the thinking curve and where we need to be in dentistry. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to transition a little bit um, from you know your role in dentistry, and I'm going to ask you some specific questions. So, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever received, and who gave it to you? So my father, and you, my my last name is Bridges. So forgive the pun, but don't burn any bridges. And I kind of live by that. I live by that mantra. So when you can lay your head down and know that. You, you didn't burn any today. It's all good. So, and sometimes it takes a lot of restraint, but you know, anyhow, so I've lived by that for a, for a long time. Yeah. What is one thing that somebody, that people would be surprised to know about you? Well, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, like in this forum before. So I have advanced degree rank and hold advanced degree black belts in Taekwondo and Hapkido. Nice. That's awesome. How long did it take you to do that? Well, I trained for 19 years, so it didn't take me 19 years to do that. But yeah, it took me 19. I, I trained for 19 years. Oh my gosh, that's fun. So is there anybody in dentistry who really inspired you? I'll sound like a suck up if I say you, but what the hell? <laughs> it is you. Oh, because we go incredibly way back. And you still will always at the school or here, give me the time of day. And I can bounce anything off of you. And it doesn't mean you're buying what I'm selling or peddling, but I try not to sell to you. I try to have more of a dialogue with you anyway, and just help where I can. And sometimes it's worked out. Sometimes it hasn't. Sometimes some projects that we started are still on hold and pending, but it doesn't mean they won't happen. It just means they weren't right at that moment in time. So yeah, you, Connie Driscoll, for sure. She just was in this profession. She was huge ally of mine and mentor. Yeah. So yeah, I'm grateful. You know, I think that that's the one thing that from my, my being, even in my private practice days, you know, I always, I always made time for industry professionals to come in, chat. I couldn't always you know, get out of the chair at that moment in time. But, but, you know, I always tried my best to do that. And I think it's important because we can't do our work without you guys, just like I can't do my work without my team. So I consider anybody that's in the, the, the sales side of things, part of my team, because, you know, if there's something new that I should know about that is going to help me do my procedures easier and better on my patients, oh my gosh, why wouldn't I want to know that? Especially as dentistry evolves into whatever the next, there will be another evolution coming. If it doesn't, shame on us, right? Because 
coming out of COVID, whatever the new norm will be, will should be different. And we should think about institutions differently and how we educate our students. And that entails a whole lot, right? So one of my initiatives at IDEA is let's be advisors. Let's not just be manufacturing people who want to sell, 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 but we advise. So I've taken that concept even in my own company and I've become more an advisor. If I can help you, great. If I can't, maybe I can steer you to what would be best for you. Like I'm not a plexiglass manufacturer, but do you really need plexiglass? I'm not a HEPA filter manufacturer unless it comes to vacuums and those filters within those systems. But you know, other than that, how can I help you? And therefore we derive more value as an organization helping the IDEA other sections, the Council of Deans, working with them to become their advisors collectively. Look, not every corporate member knows the soft approach of dealing with institutions. And I call it a soft approach because it's more relationships. I've had, I've built mine with you as well as others over a lot of years. And it's taken a lot of time, a lot of work, but I love it. So it's a passion, right? It became easy for me, but you just can't go at it like with a, like an order pad and think that you're going to come out with, I call it return on engagement, not return on investment because every company wants to know well, what's our ROI, what's our ROI, it's schools, what's our ROI per student or this or whatever. I call it rules of, like the return on engagement, like how are we going to advance this relationship, right? And that you become, I, I become trusted. There's a lot of corporate council members, not just the board members that can add a lot to this equation if we're looked at and start to be viewed at differently than just sponsoring things. Viewed as partners in the progress of um, teaching our students, absolutely, totally agree, totally. That's huge. It is, and trust is a huge thing. If we don't have a base of trust in everything that we do, you're never gonna get anywhere. So, you know, that's, that's where absolutely where it starts. Are there any obstacles you've had to come overcome in your career that you're really proud of? Well, I've existed in an equipment world, not just a merchandise or a small equipment world, with where the majority is men. No different from you in your career path and in your career. And it's been difficult at times being a female in that wild, wild west mentality because, you know, equipment reps back in the day made a lot of money. And when others weren't making that kind of money, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, they were making a hell of a lot of money and still do, but it was a different thing. But again, going at it to try to earn my stripes, as my dad would say, I earned their respect. So what I did was, if you want to call it, and I hate the word premeditated, but it was calculated so that I was always honest, I was truthful, but the delivery was a little softer than just hard facts and just presented them in a way that would be absorbed better by, you know, the, the male population, if you will. So it became 
like a success for me, but it's a big obstacle when you're getting into this world and it's still dominated by a lot of males. So, and, and I don't consider that bad and I'm not saying it to be, you know, a sexist, I'm not, but it's the truth. So just to survive in that was, was critical. So that's a big obstacle in business. I agree. I agree. I, I, I have to say that I was thinking about that earlier this month when, you know, something had come up and I remember thinking to myself, I cannot believe it's 2021 and we still have to think about this. You know, didn't suffrage happen in 1913? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And, you know, yeah, mom stayed at home in the 50s, but gosh, we've been working for an awfully long time. What the heck? I don't really get it, but it's a, a conversation for another day. When you reflect back on your childhood, do you, do you think that you were born a confident child or would you say that confidence is something that you have built over the years? Well, I think my foundation created what I am as an adult. I'm a Navy brat through and through. So I was born in Virginia and then we lived in Japan and California. My dad was in the Navy CVs for 26 years. He ran the house like a ship. And he used terms that no one should use off a ship, but anyhow. So um, I often say he taught me to curse a lot, but he also taught me and my mother, great entertainers. They knew how to entertain. And one of the things that I became, as an adult, you start to not hate it so much, right? The uprooting and the leaving your friends and all that. So for me, I think it created who I am and the ability to talk to everyone from the janitor to the tech, to the head of technicians, to the dean of the school. It, it doesn't matter. I could talk to the president and it, it, whoever that would be, but I'll talk to the janitor as well. And it just matters. So I think that that helped formulate who I am because it occurred in my formative years, right? So I think that that's created who I am and the ability to get along with a wide range of individuals. So at, at various levels. So anyhow, so it's pretty interesting. No, you know, it's, it's really good to hear you say that because I do think that, you know, every, everything that happens to us is there's a reason for it. Right. And and it does create who we are. We're a culmination today of all of the experiences we've had in the past. And where we head is, is going to be dependent upon the choices that we make. So make good choices today and tomorrow will be better, right? But make bad choices today. You might get off track. You can always get back on track, but you continue to make those bad choices. You're going off track continuously. You're not going to, the, the ship isn't going to be steered where you want it to go. Correct. You're, you're a result of the choices that you make. So I just like to think that um, as rebellious as I might have been as a child, that it's led to who I am and the strength, you know, to carry and continue. So absolutely. Now, when you reflect back on your younger years, is there any advice that you would give to a young woman who may want to go the route that you've gone and maybe feeling a little bit frustrated where they are today. Is there any advice that you can think of to give them to help encourage them to, to be brave enough to just move? I think that depending on what they want to do, let's just say it's dentistry, for example. I think that you have an opportunity 
to study. You have to study and observe those that you want to seek out for advice. So I think you have to watch them in action and see if you can identify with any traits that they have or aspire to be like them or just love to have a conversation with them and be mentored by them. But you just can't do it arbitrarily, in my opinion. I think you have to, and I wish I had done this sooner rather than later in life. You have to hone in on that individual, right? So it's like a hummingbird. You've got to go for that person, that flower that sticks out and and presents itself in the package that you might need to have it delivered to you. So not everyone is going to express themselves the way you can assimilate that information. So you have to find more a kindred spirit in terms of who you could align with. And after that, I mean, I think it's just opening conversations and dialogue with that individual and just say, hey, I like your style. And, or it could be as innocuous as that, or as, hey, do you think it'd be possible if I could just pick your brain for a little bit? And there's not a whole lot of people that I know that when approached the right way would say, no, you're crazy. No, I have enough to do. Someone's always going to make time and, and they will. If, if you've studied your you know, like a lion studies its prey. And I'm not saying that they should pounce on someone to kill them, but I'm just saying it's the same thing. You have to study your prey, your study, your colleague, your support person, and then just come up with a game plan on how to approach them. And that applies in any field, by the way, or any segment. I think that you just have to align with those individuals that more can direct you in the way with a gentle hand, or if that's what you need. If you need a firm one, there's plenty of them out there too, but it depends on what works for you. So I think you have to study that person. You know, I have a really great shopping story that I did. So, you know, I, no, we'll, we'll another time, we'll get into that another time. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. All right. Last question. So have you ever had one of those aha moments when you realize, oh my gosh, I'm good at this. This is exactly what I should be doing. Yeah. I think it, it has to do with, I mean, there's been several times in my career, right? But I think that Adia is one of those aha moments and the connections and the bonds that continue to form with the different sections and to say, you know, I am good. I get it. I get where you are coming from on your side of the table. And I get where we're coming from on our side of the table. And, you know, that's a big aha moment in this business, especially when you have to deal with schools and I want to as well, but I, that's my charge, right? That's my job. So when you do that, I think that that's a big aha moment when you're in tune with, oh my God, I did make a difference. And that made sense. Or, you know, because I'm, as I said, I'm not afraid to, to speak up and, and conviction is a wavering gift today. I think with some people, they have a hard time expressing their convictions without aggravating the masses, right? So I'd like to think that, I would like to believe that I, incite them to think more critically and open up their minds. So that's the big aha, probably. That's awesome. 
Well, Deb, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me and sharing your insight. I, I know that somebody out there has really appreciated your guidance and your, you know, insight into, you know, what made the world click for you in dentistry. So thank you so much. Oh my God, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's really been an honor. So I thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Deb. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.